morning. Um, so, number one, we have men's prayer breakfast. It's coming up. It's coming up. It's coming up September 1st. Yeah, 7 a.m. So, uh, men, make sure that you uh, note your calendars and uh, make it here at 7 o'clock. We'll have a uh, time of fellowship, um, breakfast, and, uh, and then yeah, worship, prayer. And um, so, it's, it's always good to come together as, uh, you know, in, in that place to where the Lord has given that as, um, as an offensive weapon, you know, to uh, bring forth those things that He desires for us to intercede on behalf of others, uh, our nation, um, the church, and the things that are before us. And so I encourage you to come out. We also have a, uh, the Women's Bible Fellowship. And so that is a Bible study that's starting Tuesday, September 25th. It'll meet every other Tuesday. And the, the um, theme of it is Ready and Faithful. So it'll be a study through the books of First and Second Thessalonians, Titus, and First and Second Timothy. So those are all Pauline epistles um, that you'll be studying. And um, so the kickoff is on September 25th. And so I encourage you to sign up today. The cost is $25, and that includes all the materials and uh, just everything that you'll need for the Bible study. Uh, so make sure you sign up today. We also have um, a, the Christmas market. That's already coming up. It's still hot. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Everyone's clapping. It's just amazing how fast this year has, has flown. It's like, wow, we're already here. Um, so uh, the women's ministry is looking to see if there is enough interest uh, to hold this year's Christmas market. So I hope there is. Um, but if not... That's what the Lord's doing, and so be it. But uh, we're putting it out there. If anyone's interested in being a vendor, uh, make sure that you sign up today at the information table. And the date of the Christmas market is on Saturday, November 10th. And so that's when it's scheduled to take place. Uh, we also have, uh, for the children's ministry, uh, we, have an, uh, we still have uh, an immediate need for help uh, for the younger kids' classroom and so I encourage you um, to make sure, you know, if, if the Lord's really tugging on your heart, uh, we have a need, you're available, go sign up um, and fill that need. Uh, if no one comes forward to fulfill this need today, we will be making some adjustments within the ministry. That sounds like a threat. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a good threat, though. <laughs> right? Like, all right, so what do we do? Uh, we have to make some adjustments, but uh, hopefully not. Hopefully um, the Lord um, really uh, brings a strong conviction upon your heart, and shame on you that you don't stand. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, the Lord, definitely, we desire that the Lord move in your heart, and that you sincerely, genuinely step forward if the Lord truly is tugging on your heart, and, uh, and volunteer for that. So make sure that uh, you let it be known. Um, that you are interested in uh, in helping out there. All right. So this morning, let me make sure. I think that's it. Yeah. All right. Uh, this morning we are in Matthew chapter twenty-four, and as you turn there, if you haven't turned there already, um, I know that you were in good hands last Sunday with uh, Pastor Larry Powers from Calvary Chapel Golden Springs. Uh, he's a wonderful teacher, brother in the Lord. Um, just a, a wonderful friend, and uh, and so as we were being blessed up the hill, uh, all the men at the uh, at the uh, men's retreat, I know that you were here being blessed, and so 
Um, uh, what is it that you went over? Psalm what? 139. Yeah, 139. And I listened to the message, and, uh, and again, just always blessed to hear uh, Pastor Larry teach. But uh, this morning, we are in Matthew chapter 24. And uh, let's start out by just reading the first few verses here, just to give us an idea of what we're going into. And then we'll ask the Lord to bless our time with the word of prayer. So Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, says, Jesus left the temple and was going away. When his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when, all, when will all these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and, of the, and the end of the age? And so that's a question that I think we all have. <clears throat> Do we not? When are all these things going to happen, Lord? So he prompts that, those questions with what he had stated right before that. So that's what we're going to be going into this morning. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for... Um, giving us these signs, these, uh, uh, Lord, these events that we can look to and know that we are in the final days of this time. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to, uh, Lord, understand why it is that you uh, clearly communicated these things to your disciples and to us this morning, uh, that we may be prepared, well-equipped, not being fearful or alarmed, but standing fast in the truth and being diligent to be uh, to being students of your word, uh, that we wouldn't be easily deceived and taken off track, Lord, and that we may be a people who stand firm on the truth and do not waver. And so, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would just uh, teach us this morning, Lord, uh, open up our eyes to see what you would have us to see. And Lord, strengthen your church, Father, that again, we would be a people who stand firm on your truth. We thank you, Father, and we praise you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the end of the age, uh, the disciples, as we are, were interested in knowing when will the temple be destroyed, as Jesus said it would be destroyed. And how will it be known that the time is coming, that the time is near, the end of time. Uh, will there be signs to read that tell us when the end is coming? The simple answer to this question is, of course, yes. There are these signs, there are these um, things that will be taking place in the end times that we can take notice of and know that the end is near. And... These are the very signs that Jesus provides for his disciples. He explains to them what these are. And these signs are, you can liken them to signs that are uh, found along the side of the road, telling us what is up ahead, right? Uh, A curve, a turn, a stop, a dead end, a light. You know, all of these things, those signs are there to communicate to us the road that we're traveling and what's up ahead. We're entering into Jesus' Olivet Discourse, 
a moment in Passion Week in which Jesus laid out for His disciples a description of the last days. They would not see this themselves, but just a portion. But we today, the question for us today, are we seeing this take shape in our day? Would you say that we are? We're seeing some things come to fruition. For those of you who do know the signs of the events of the last days, I think that we can, with great confidence, say, yeah, we're beginning to see some of the birth pains of the end of days. The question again is, what should this knowledge do for the follower of Jesus Christ, for the believer? If we not only not know exactly to what extent these things are to happen, but also we are not... So, what I want to say is that the the extent of these things happening should really prompt us to be ready at all times, to live with expectancy for the coming of the Lord. And really, that's the purpose for Jesus explaining these things to His disciples, which He knew they weren't just going to be for their own preparation and confidence in Him, but for us today, this morning. The one word that really uh, came to mind as I went through this study is ready. We are to be ready at all times. In fact, as we go through this study this morning, we'll go um, through next week the abomination of desolation, as well as going into the parable of the ten virgins in the next chapter, which speaks of a church that should be prepared for the coming of the Lord. Now, Jesus, up to this point, we need to understand, had been questioned by the religious leaders of the time, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, um, the Herodians, you remember, sent lawyers to him. All of these people were sent to Jesus to entrap him, to catch him in some kind of a, a twisting of the word that they may bring an accusation against him. But they couldn't. They couldn't find anything wrong in the answers that he had been giving them. So they failed. And after having spoken a series of woes, against the scribes and the Pharisees in warning about their serious sins. And after having looked upon Jerusalem, knowing what was coming and wept, we come to this time of Him leaving the temple and the words going away, emphasizing that Jesus at this point was not coming back. He was leaving and just not coming back. So it was, it was a somber time. And the disciples, they read this. They knew that, that there was something different about how it was that Jesus was speaking to them. And it was at this point that Jesus' disciples came to him and interrupting this somber mood began to point out to Jesus this beautiful temple that was before them. You see this beautiful temple? It would be something that we would do. You know, someone who seems kind of down. No, we would want to lift up a little bit. And so his disciples came to him and they wanted to point out this this amazing, magnificent, beautiful temple that was before them all. The temple was made up of buildings that were of unmatched beauty. I, I think it's beyond our comprehension just how beautiful the temple was. I mean, it was 500 yards by 400 yards long. 
If you can imagine, that, that's, that's, a, that's a big area, big area. It was made up of these white, huge stones, some that were 50 feet long, if you can imagine that. They were white in color, and they were covered with gold. Talk about some bling, right? And can you imagine when the sun would hit the temple at just the right angle? It would be almost blinding. What magnificent, right? What beauty, this temple. This is Herod's temple. It started to be built in 19 B.C. Do you know when, it, when they finished? They finished, let me tell you, seven years before it was destroyed, which was in A.D. 63. That many years. And it was beautiful to behold. And so the disciples came to Jesus and they were telling him, look at the temple. Look at the magnificence of the temple. It's absolutely beautiful, isn't it? Well, <laughs> it's a funny thing you bring up the temple. Uh, you can just kind of see here with Jesus' answer. He answered them. Yeah, you see all these. You see all these, do you not? Uh, no doubt pointing to the temple. And he tells them, truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Possible? Yes. I'm thinking they were thinking. Probable? Probably not. Okay. Again, this is the mentality. This is, this is a human being thinking, you know, looking at this beautiful building and, and, and thinking, how is it possible? I just explained to you, some of the stones were 50 feet long. Huge. 500 yards by 400 yards. That, that's, a, that's a huge, huge buildings. The wall, just absolutely beautiful. And all of it's going to be torn down. Not a stone will be left on top of another. At the time... This very statement, as we see here, drove the disciples to ask more questions about Jesus' return and the signs of the end of the age. But before we go there, I want to point out one very important thing. That what Jesus said in that one statement that preceded the disciples from asking their question was fulfilled. As I have said, in A.D. 70, in just 40 years after Jesus had said these words, the temple was indeed destroyed. There was not one stone that was left on top of another. Because the temple was not only destroyed, but it was burned down. And so all of the gold was melted. And to remove all the gold, all the stones were ordered to be removed one from on top of the other. It was as Jesus had said it was to be. If you were to study the things that were prophesied in the Old Testament and, ha- and come to know how many of them have been already fulfilled, let me ask you this. Wouldn't that increase your faith? It does mine. 
As you look at the Old Testament and as you study the Old Testament and you look at how many things have been fulfilled perfectly. Not just kind of, not vaguely, not hmm, it could be that what they prophesied was kind of so general that it was, you know, definitely fulfilled. No, no, no. If you pay attention, if you actually study it and look through and see how many things were fulfilled, have been fulfilled perfectly. It would definitely, it would definitely increase your faith. I would encourage you to study, to read, to consider that you may know. You know, sometimes we say, oh, I believe. I believe in God. Well, what God do you believe in? And what are the things that you believe in? What are the things that God has fulfilled already? And how does it serve you? It would do the church well to be students of the Word of God, that you may know how to break down the Word and explain it to people and defend that faith. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, Jesus said, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So everything that is written will come to fruition. It will all come to pass. Every single thing. There was an interesting observation regarding this prophecy that I'd like to pass along to you this morning. Remember when Jesus entered the temple and how he overturned the, ta- the, the tables of the money changers and drove out all of the merchants and said, and said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers or a den of thieves. And what I, what I thought was interesting in this observation is that even this temple... As magnificent as it was, as much as it was the pride of the people and was held so highly that a note that was taken on this temple was believed to be binding, was actually considered by Jesus as a den of thieves. And God valued this beautiful building very little because of what it had become. It had nothing to do with the building. It has to do everything with what it represents. And if it's perverted, then it, that's why I pray that this building right, right here, that we need to understand it, its, it's value is, is absolutely nothing, but it, its value is, is here amongst you. Its value is how it is that we conduct ourselves, what it is that we use this building for. Is it for the worship of God? Uh, to to make disciples, to, to train you up, to um, all come together in fellowship and communion with the Lord. Those are, those, those are the reasons, that's the purpose for us coming together and gathering as God's people here. And I pray that it would always glorify the Lord, serving to build His people up in His Word and by His Spirit, and never that it become anything of a place of entertainment, a place of... Uh, commerce, a place where we just come and gather together as a group, but are hardly recognizable as anything very much separate from the world. Never. Now, these words of Jesus prompted the disciples to ask about his coming and the end of the age. 
In verses 3 through 8, these are words, and he continues on through verse 14, are words that are meant to prepare and not to frighten. So let's continue on in verse 3 as he speaks. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Again, Words meant to prepare. Just as they were then, and more so even now. The disciples asked two questions, and, and really it's thought of also that it may even be broken down into three questions. And we'll go through that right now. Jesus and his disciples were now across from the temple. You can imagine the temple is here, there's a valley, and you have um, the Mount of Olives across the, the small valley there. And so they have this clear view of the temple from where they're sitting. And they're asking this of Jesus. And Jesus' answer to these questions, again, we're never meant to alarm. You know, sometimes um, we we like to, um, you know, inquiring minds like to know. (laughs) Um, the, The inquiring, all of these other... Uh, lovely, true news uh, magazines, right? They're all true, like the Loch Ness Monster and things like that. They're fascinating to read. But no, what, what I'm saying is that as far as being alarming is concerned, it's sometimes alluring. You want to hear about these things. And it's like, what's, what's happening all over the place? And you hear about it and you get like, kind of stuck on that. And that's all you want to hear about. You know, it's all the bad news. If you turn on the news... Um, good news doesn't sell. It's always the bad news. And so you get, you get hooked on the bad news. And this is not meant to alarm the disciples, nor us today. Hey, listen. These things that are happening, they're happening. Just make sure that you note them for what they are. It should drive you to be even more well-prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ. Some say that, again, this is three questions in one. Number one, when will the temple be destroyed? Secondly, what will be the sign of your coming? And thirdly, what will be the sign of the end of the age? Really, the the latter part is what is really answered. And in answering this, Jesus answers what will precede his coming. Without giving the precise hour in which he is coming. Regarding the destruction of the temple, well, that happened a short 40 years later. So that took place. That's done. Jesus did answer what the signs will be as the end of the age approaches. He does want us to know those things. There are many people who have made their own predictions as to the return of Christ. You've perhaps heard some of them. You've read about them. And Jesus warned about this. So don't believe him. You know what was... um, well, what was on the headlines on June 11th, 1967? What is that date? June 11th, 
1967. What do you think the headlines on the newspapers were? War ends. Total Israel victory. June 11th, 1967. The end of the Six-Day War. Where what's known as the United Arab Republic came against Israel. Egypt, Syria, and Jordan. And it was a miracle. In six days, not only did they successfully defend against the attack, but there was something else that took place. They regained complete control of Jerusalem and of all of the holy sites. It was at that point that many people were predicting Jesus' return. It's going to happen now. But no man knows the hour. No man knows the time. We should be ready, prepared at any moment for the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that there will be many people who falsely point to themselves as a Messiah. If, if you hear anyone saying, I am Jesus, come on, you know. It's just not so. Even, even not knowing the word of God, I don't know, it's just like, be a skeptic. <laughs> you know, just look at something like that and think, there's, there's no way, you're saying you're God. There's absolutely no way. But I cannot believe how many people are duped into believing when they hear things like this. And Jesus said, many people will come saying that they are me. And they will lead many people astray. Away, is it away from genuinely following Jesus Christ? And unfortunately, them too. Even the believers. And, and so you've got to ask the question, how is it? How is it that someone can be deceived? How is it that someone can be led astray? What do you think? It's because they have full knowledge? I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I think it has to do with ignorance, not stupidity. Stupidity and ignorance are two different things. But it's ignorance, not being willing to be students of the Word of God. Study to show yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling or dividing the Word of truth. And so we are to be students of the Word so that we wouldn't be duped, that we wouldn't be deceived, led astray down a path that is not truth. I think it has to do also with that ignorance comes laziness. We're just lazy. I remember when I graduated, and I was a star student in high school. Um, And for those of you who know me, you know that's not a true statement. But I remember when I graduated from, from high school, that was a miracle in and of itself. And then from that, I remember thinking, and I, I, I think I actually said, if I, I know I thought it, but I may have even said it. I'm so thankful now, I do not have to read another book my entire life. <laughs> it's just laziness. You know, I was interested in the things of the world, which were dead and void and just empty, just offered absolutely nothing. I realized that later, not too, too much down the road, but a little bit later, it was all empty. And then now, 
you know. I'm a student of this word. And I read this all the time, every day. And it gives me understanding. It helps me to, to live in a state of hope. To gain godly wisdom that speaks to every circumstance that I'm faced with. That if I respond to it in a way that God has prescribed for me to follow, then it will not only bless and glorify Him, but it will bless me, my family, and my friends, and those people who are impacted by those decisions. It has to do with laziness. I think a lot of times when people are led astray down a path where they're, they're open to just foolish counsel. The counsel, you know what? Just as long as you're happy, follow whatever is in your heart. Because God desires that you do whatever it is that you want to do. Is that true? No, it's not. (laughs) We're so selfish. We're so self-centered. We're destructive if left to ourselves. And the Bible says, how's the heart? What's the condition of the heart? It's deceitful? Oh, so it can deceive you. Yeah, and it's what else? It's wicked? Yeah, who can know it, right? We need to know those things. And we claim differently if we ignorantly do not know the, the Word of God. We don't, we don't know the truth. Instead of reading the Bible, people will fully trust what they hear, taking it as the truth and following it. Just following it. The blind leading the blind. Jesus had just told the scribes and Pharisees that they are guilty of preventing people from entering the kingdom of heaven. They themselves are not there and they're preventing others from entering the kingdom of heaven because of their own false requirements of salvation. That's, by the way, legalism. Legalism uh, or or, uh, accountability and holding people accountability is not legalism. It's accountability. That's what that is. Uh, insisting that someone um, be given to holiness and righteousness. That is not legalism. That is called a good brother or sister that's holding you accountable. Judge not that you not be judged. Well, that's a phrase that's used mostly by the world because nobody wants to be held accountable, right? These people were being legalistic in that they were putting forth these requirements for salvation that were not according to the word of God. So the Lord was telling them, not only are you not entering the kingdom of heaven, but you're preventing all these other people from entering the kingdom of heaven. So here's one sign. False Christ, don't believe the claims. According to Matthew 24, 27, there will be no doubt of when Jesus shows up. No doubt whatsoever. Every eye will see and know that it is Him. Much like on last Saturday night, when we were all, well, there was a group of us still up late at night. And, um, and so, uh, Matthew, he's not here, but Matthew and I went around the house. This was at the men's retreat. Uh, we went around, and there was a, a group of guys that were sitting on the front porch. And so I started throwing these little pebbles behind them. <laughs> And just to kind of like get them going. And, and you could hear them. 
Oh, what is that? Oh, I don't know. You know, and so throw in a few more. And then Matthew uh, made me do it. He, <laughs> he gave me a bigger rock to throw on the tin roof of the patio. <laughs> That's there, right? So I threw it. Is, uh... Oh, he's not here. He's, Jake is probably in, in the children's, right? Okay. So Jake was sitting there, and there was no doubt that this thunder and lightning came down from above. And he, as soon as the rock hit that tin roof, he got up from his chair and like ran to the front door. <laughs> and so he was afraid, he was scared. And all the guys, all I hear was like laughter. Everyone started busting up. And so they all knew that something big had just hit that roof. And there was no doubt, right? But they were all laughing. You know, just... Um, they, they all knew that, that something had come down. Just, just as clearly as that took place, every single person in the entire world will know when Jesus comes back. Every single person. There will not be a doubt. You know, they didn't know what in the world hit that, that roof. But we will know every single person. There's going to be no doubt whatsoever. So when people say, hey, Jesus, that's Jesus over there. No, it's not. Because every single one of us will know exactly when the Lord comes back. Another sign, wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against nation. In, in my lifetime, there have been plenty of wars, conflicts. You know, um, uh, we, we explain some wars and battles with, with, by just naming them as, as conflicts. They're conflicts. No, they're, they're battles. They're, they're wars. That's what they are. Nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. So there have been plenty of these in my days, just in the short 25 years that I've lived. And rumors of wars. And they continue to this day. And they will only increase as we continue on through the days. Um, all you have to do, and I don't have to explain this to you, right? I mean, you know everything that's been going on. I was a part of... A, a conflict that was happening, and uh, that was when we went uh, into Iraq, uh, and that was in 1990, you guys remember that, 1991 into 92, we were, we were there. Um, so no need to explain all of those things. Uh, here's another sign, famines. There are plenty of famines today throughout the world, and there are many areas in Africa specifically that are dealing with famines. How about earthquakes? Uh, earthquakes. Don't even talk about earthquakes, right? Uh, you guys know, uh, have, you, have you ever met San Andreas? You felt San Andreas, right? Shift a little bit here and there. I just pulled up just for the sake of kind of like seeing where the earthquakes are. Um, significant. These are these are significant earthquakes that have taken uh, place in the last thirty days. Um, like this is six zero seven one, and kind of like around there, Iran, Peru, um, Venezuela, Oregon, uh, Venezuela, Indonesia, Fiji, Fiji, Fiji is very active. Fiji, Costa Rica, Japan. Um, Alaska, again, Indonesia, and so many other places. This is just a short list. Um, but these, those are significant earthquakes. That's, that's not counting all the small ones that, um, that are always happening throughout the world. 
Uh, you've, heard, you've heard of the Ring of Fire? The Ring of Fire, that apparently they're saying it's uh, kind of getting to a critical level. And, and that is the, the Pacific Rim, how it goes around from, from our coast um, all the way up to Alaska and goes around to um, Russia and down around uh, Japan and so on and so forth. So uh, very active. And um, so are there earthquakes happening today in various places? Yeah, more than just in various places all over the world and all the time. Uh, Jesus described these occurrences as birth pains or labor pains. The delivery of the prophecy is coming, but it is not yet, is what he was saying. He says in verse 8, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. It hasn't come yet, but just take notice. These things are happening. And then he continues through verse 14. Verse 9 says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So Jesus was telling them that these things will happen. And some have, and others will, or will continue. And so after Jesus' ascension, his disciples were delivered up to tribulation and put to death. We know that very well. They were the martyrs that we can read of and we know of. They were despised by all the nations, all the peoples of the world for the sake of Jesus' name. It's interesting how provocative just simply the name of Jesus is. It's amazing how you can take any other book into a coffee shop and no one will bat an eye. But you take the Bible in and just lay it down and see what happens. Don't do anything. Just take it into the coffee shop and lay it on the table and just open it. Just open it. Glance at it every once in a while and and see what the response is around you. It's amazing. It's amazing. And the Lord was telling them, for, nine, for my name's sake, you will experience tribulation, you will be hated, and you will be put to death. Many Christians will fall away also. And, and this means that they were part of prior to falling away. They were part of the fellowship, the community of believers. But then at some point, they have turned away. They've fallen away from the fellowship, the communion of the believers with the Lord. Not only will there be a falling away, but also a display of betrayal and hatred. So beyond the falling away, there will be this betrayal among the brethren and this hatred for one another. That should not be, right? For how is it that people know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ, but for the love that we have for one another? Now, we also, I also want to say this. Do not confuse the identification of false teachers, false teaching, false doctrine, 
and wolves, the identification of wolves in sheep's clothing as this, quote-unquote, hatred and betrayal and a false declaration of division. Sometimes that's what we say, you know, within the church. It's like, oh, you know, you're, you're only causing division. Um, it's almost like they're making you feel like you're betraying the brethren. You're causing division. And let, let's make something very clear. That is not what Jesus is referring to here. The one who discerns these things is actually a watchman who is more concerned about the deception of God's people than their, even their own well-being and popularity within the world. The lawlessness that Jesus referred to is that which Paul confronted in the church of Corinth. So we talk about betrayal and hatred. True betrayal and hatred. But then we also have here how it is that the Lord is speaking of lawlessness. And it was something that Paul confronted the church of Corinth with. It was a tolerance of evil that was not to be commended but eradicated. You know, something that is celebrated today is the tolerance of everything. Of absolutely everything. Anything and everything goes. And you are commendable if you tolerate it all. Again, I remind you, see if they tolerate this, right? Tolerate everything but the Christian. You are so narrow-minded and, you know, how dare you believe what you believe? And it's like, well, wait a minute, I thought you were tolerant. You know, I thought you were open-minded, you know, and, and really accepting of everyone and, and, and what they believe. Yeah, everything but you. Everything but you. For my name's sake, you will be hated. For my name's sake, you will be persecuted. You are not above your master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Just know that in this life you will experience tribulation. So stand fast, stand firm in the might of the Lord. And continue to move forward in love. A lack of tolerance does not mean a lack of love. In fact, throughout the Bible, we know God to be intolerable of sin. In fact, he was so intolerable that he knew that that was the very thing that separated us from him. And so he sent his son to this earth to die in our stead for the payment of our sins, past, present, and future. If we just believe, he would have dealt with us on that cross by our faith in Jesus Christ. And we have that place with him a restored relationship with the Father through the Son. So this tolerance is not to be commended. Lawlessness is what we'll see in the last days. Do we not see it today? There's a lawlessness. It, it's, it's present within the church. We need, to, we need to take that on squarely, swiftly, and not tolerate it, but eradicate it in a way that's loving, but in a way that is glorifying to the Lord and a blessing to the church. For we are to be a holy people set aside for the Lord. We are a people who are supposed to be separate from the world and unto the Lord. And then there are false prophets or teachers who are leading many Christians astray today. So know the word of God by studying it and allowing it to be your wisdom and discern 
what is truth and what is not. And you only know this by, by reading the Word of God, by knowing it, and then by living it out. Lawlessness will increase, and the love that was once alive and well will begin to grow cold. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. So 2 Timothy, hold your place there in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's read this together, starting in verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. Brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Oh, what a picture of the days in which we're in today. That's why I read that slowly. It's like each one of those is a description. You, you, could, you can tell, you could just look around, talk about signs. Oh, man. We can break those down. And point, point it out within our own world that we live in today. And in spite of all of this, the gospel of Jesus Christ will be proclaimed throughout the world and, and the, then the end will come. Some people take this to say that there is a last person that needs to hear the gospel and it is at that point that the Lord will return. They, they take this last verse here. Verse 15, or 14, I'm sorry. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Well, we can also refer to Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. So if you're jotting down some notes, you can, you can go there. And what will happen in that time? Will it be the church? Will the church even be present? What is it that will be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the whole world? An angel. An angel. Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. Just note that. You can look it up. An angel will be saying this, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him. The hour of His judgment has come. Even when the church is taken up, the Holy Spirit will still be convicting people to come to Jesus Christ that they too can repent and come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ throughout that time. Nonetheless, as we do know this is going to take place, the church has to be serious. They have to be, we have to be genuine about the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Right? 
That's the Great Commission. Uh, when the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy saying, do the work of an evangelist. Just because you haven't been, like you don't have the quote-unquote gifting of an evangelist, you know, we still are to do the work of an evangelist. That is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Just tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He came to save. He came to seek and save the lost. And by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we can come, or, or other people can come to know forgiveness of sins and know the hope of eternal life with the, with the Father. Um, the point of all of these words is to prepare God's people. Right? As, as we've gone through, and we're going to continue. Next week we continue. The abomination of desolation. But all of these are to prepare God's people and to make sure that in the midst of all of this that you're experiencing today, do not be distracted, do not be led astray, don't, don't allow yourselves to, but stay focused. Keep your eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of your faith. This is what God desires to do in your life. And with this, I want to leave you with three things that Jesus told his disciples. We didn't emphasize these as we went through, but I want to right now because I want to bring them to your attention. Number one, look with me at verse four. And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. Who's responsible for that? Huh? We are. Yeah. We are. Second Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. So now you know that by reading and studying the Word of God, that that's exactly what it will do for you. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Also in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So again, this is your responsibility. And the Lord Jesus is telling them, Hey, listen, see, see that no one leads you astray. So you, make sure you know the word of God so that no one would lead you astray. Don't let them. You know, you have someone coming and bullying you. Well, get stronger in the word of God. Don't let them bully you. You know, because it's your responsibility. It's no one else's. Number two, see that you are not alarmed. Verse six tells us this, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Again, Jesus speaking says, see that you are not alarmed. So, hey, when all of these things begin to happen, oh, don't, don't just get out of sorts and don't start focusing in on everything that's happening. And, and you're just like, that's all you talk about. Did you, know, did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? It's like, don't be alarmed. Just know these things are happening. So what do we do? We come together, we continue moving, moving on, and, and, we, and we look to accomplish that which the Lord has for us to accomplish. Go and tell more people about Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. Right? John 16.33 says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So don't be anxious, don't worry, and do not fear. Stand fast in the Lord. Number three, and the final thing, 
Verse 13 says that the one who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 13. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Your endurance proves your genuine faith. We were talking about this uh, just the other day, how it is that, um, you know, some, the Bible says, that have departed, that have walked away from the faith or the fellowship, um, were, were never a part of us. Okay, but then we do have the story of the prodigal son, right? So that means that there, there are those who have walked away from the Lord, turned their back on him, who are genuine prodigals. They are sons and daughters who have walked away from the Lord, but do belong to him. And the question is, which one are we? For those, of, those that have been in fellowship, in the church, in communion with the Lord, and then have walked away, which one, which one are they? We, we don't know people's hearts, so it's not like we can determine those things. We ourselves, let me, let me just say this, we ourselves shouldn't test that out. <laughs> right? Because our genuine faith will, will be known in, in our perseverance and just, just keep it on. It's like, I'm going to keep my eyes focused on the Lord. I, I have no idea about anyone else. I just pray for them. I want to stay right where I'm at. I, I don't want to test that out in any way, shape, or form. I just want to bless and glorify the Lord. That's it. Because James said that faith without works is dead. Endurance in your faith will reflect in how you live your life. Is it with confidence in the hope you have in Jesus Christ? Or is it alarmed with all the circumstances you're experiencing in your life? The things of the world. Enduring is more than tolerance, but standing fast in the face of any and all things that come against you as a Christian, as a person, standing fast in the truth and the word of God. Standing in the truth and not wavering or surrendering to anything other than the truth. And this is exactly what Jesus was doing with his disciples is preparing them. Hey, listen, know that all these things are going to come, but you need to stand fast. Don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Just keep going. Stand firm in the truth. And know that I am coming back soon. And you just simply need to be prepared. Are you prepared, church? I pray that we're not looking anywhere else, that we see the signs all around us, and we are simply just rejoicing in God's grace, in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, and we are looking forward to the day that he does come back for us. Or we don't know if tomorrow is promised to us, for it is not, right? And so we're prepared today. What would? Let me ask you this in closing. Because quite honestly, we don't know what comes the next moment. Are you prepared right now? If you were to take your last breath on earth this evening and you die, are you prepared to see Jesus? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've been forgiven of your sins and you are going to be in the presence of God for all eternity? Are, are you prepared for that? And I hope the answer is yes. Because if you're not, just know this. That God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And this is how you know salvation. You repent of your sins. You ask for forgiveness of your sins. 
and you ask Jesus to be your, your Lord and Savior. For with the mouth one confesses, right, that Jesus is Lord, and with the heart one believes unto salvation. So confess Jesus as Lord, believe that the Father raised him from the dead. Three days after he was put into the grave, it's belief in him and a surrendered heart to him that you know salvation for all eternity. And you're prepared. You're prepared. That's really what we should be concerned with. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your gift of eternal life by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Or if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, your word tells us that we will be saved. Your word tells us that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And we thank you, Lord, that you have promised us eternal life for those who believe. And in the midst of all that we have going on in, in our world today, I pray, Lord, that you would keep us steadfast in you. Lord, that we would not be alarmed, we would not be distracted, we, are, we would not be taken by anything that's happening all around us, or even in, the midst, in our midst, Lord, uh, the circumstances that perhaps we find ourselves in. But we would simply trust in you and cling to you and know that we have certain hope. Lord, of uh, being in all of your glory one day. Lord, for now, help us to glorify you and live according to the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.